Hey, gang. Hey. It's your boys, Liam. And I don't know. Oh, and Tom. And I don't know if you looked at the title for this episode, but we are going to be trading in some heavy subject matter. So a brief trigger warning for uh, anti-Semitism, misogyny, all, all, the, all the violence and hate that you would associate with Nazis. Yeah, and it's also uh, uh, just for like, it's, it might get a little little sad at some points. Yeah. So just uh, bear that in mind. This is bear gonna, that in mind, weary traveler. This is gonna be this is gonna be a little bit of a tense energy episode, but we hope you'll enjoy it. Jello Biafra said it best, though. What did he say? Nazi punks, fuck off. And that's when the song kicks in. Tom, I got one question for you. What is it? Are you feeling this? I'm feeling I'm it. I'm feeling this. We're just living and breathing in the space, and I like it. Just in this space, in a bubble around impending doom. It's a nice little soothing balm, a bit of a salve to how fucking ghoulish everything is. Welcome to your weekly mind salve. Oh, salve, boy. salve. How's that word salve. pronounced? Salve. S A L V. Better than Nazis. Segway. 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 This is Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about major media. I'm your co-host, Tom Lockney, and I like to tell stories from video games and internet culture. I'm your bro-host, Liam Sr., and I like to talk about show business. And each week, we pick a theme and tell uh, each other a story centered around that theme. And, and then gosh, you listen in on it like a bunch of creepy creepos. And you know what? This is our conversation. Get out of here. Yeah, get out of here. Let's Go listen to somebody else. Go eavesdrop on the bus like a regular person. Yeah. Have you been sitting out that that on that tree outside our window this whole time? Every single night. You have three different jugs of what I assume is urine and Gatorade bottles. And don't forget, Jankum. Oh God. Ugh, Jankum. Uh, no, and you get to listen too. That's the fun of the podcast. Yeah, and Liam, what in God's name could possibly be going on right now in current events that we would center a themed podcast around? Well, Friends isn't on the air anymore. That's not, you know what? That's I'll all never, I got. I'll never find out if Joey and Rachel ever did get together. Joey and Rachel did get together and then broke up and were not the will they won't they of the show. You're thinking of Ross. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, David Schwimmer. God, Who, I hated Ross. They also ended up getting together. Oh. We ex- I've explained this on various episodes of Major Cast Network's work. I've talked about the ending of Friends on like eight different podcasts. I'm sure you have. This Anyways... Week, it's not about friends. It's about no. the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it's about enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Of the state, of the people, and of, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going first this week. Our theme is Nazis, if you hadn't figured it out. Fuck Nazis. Yeah, fuck Nazis. All right. <sighs> you sound like an old man getting into an older chair. I feel like an old man getting into an older man. What? <laughs> Lemonparty.org. Anyways. Chapter one. No chapter names today, guys, because I refuse to make puns about the subject matter of my story. Same. Andrew Anglin is an Ohio man who spent his childhood in Christian schools. Though he was described as the picture of a liberal, why don't I describe that picture for you? He was a vegan, though he was not, quote, that kind of vegan, meaning that rather than follow an actual vegan diet, quote, 
He was the guy who ate a bag of Fritos, and that was his meal for the day, end quote. That was just a teenager. Yeah, that's where the term crunchy comes from, because they're just munching <laughs> on all those potato chips. Love me them Funyuns. He had a strong desire to be different, unique, to the point that he stopped wearing his signature hat because someone else at school one day came wearing the same one. And though he would protest the use of racial and homophobic slurs, dreadlocks were a notable part of his look. So it may have been more accurate to compare him to a liberal. I would someone, say to an asshole. Someone whose progressive attitude stops the second race or actually changing their own behavior is involved. As though to prove my point, in 2008, when Anglin moved to the Philippines to teach English, he ostracized himself and decided he wished to only associate with white culture. Very progressive. Yeah. So did he get rid of the dreadlocks then? Because uh, I'm those who aren't part of white culture. <laughs> Quick note on what that means, too, because it's an important semantic trick played. Semantic trick or semantic trick? Played by Nazis. <laughs> when Anglin says white culture, he means a homogenized European white ethnoculture, which accomplishes a couple things. One, it erases the fact that plenty of minorities exist in these cultures, places like uh, Britain, the UK, Ireland, Scotland, Etc. The best Indian food outside of India is in Scotland, bar none. Two, it seeks to whitewash the many extra European cultural traditions that were, quite literally, stolen through slavery and colonization. Fried chicken. And three, it erases... That's a real thing that, that white people completely stole fried chicken from. Like, the process... The way that deep fried chicken, as we know it, like, as a southern staple, completely stolen from slave culture. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... They took everything. Literally all of Southern cuisine is just reappropriated slave culture food. It's it, stolen, it yeah. boggles my mind. Ugh. And three, it erases the fact that even among different types of white people, there's a huge cultural disparity. Ireland is not the same as Britain, is not the same as France, is not the same as Belgium. It's not the same as Northern Ireland, is not the same as the Republic of Ireland. Exactly. All these things are very, very uh, different, even though they're all like, quote unquote, Caucasian. So when Andrew Anglin wistfully regales some interviewer with his call to whiteness, he refers not to getting some Cincinnati chili with his Ohio boys, but to a lionized, dangerous misinterpretation of whiteness that seeks to destroy all cultures with a genocidal priority, of course, placed on those of minority people. Cincinnati chili is one of the worst things we have white people have it's ever invented. It's disgusting! It's just noodles and meat! Quote, Andrew Anglin. It was only among my own kind, those of the European race, not a thing, nope. that I would ever be able to share true kinship, as it is only they who share my blood and can understand my soul. By the grace of God, I found Adolf Hitler, end quote. <laughs> Fuck off! You know, I think he might be on to something. Ugh. His website... Adventure Quest was Anglin's, yeah, right? First foray into his online website, publishing. Nerd Virgin. Serving as host to his rants of bizarre conspiracy. Did he believe the world was run by alien reptiles and humanoid sharks? You better believe he did. He only begins to find his voice, however, when he launches his next project, a website called Total Fascism. Like, this was Anglin's. <laughs> Long form era. Wait, 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 wait. So was this at a time when people who like had to re like look and register a domain, domain names was just like, 
Oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah, like that's probably it's all literally good. that's probably literally what happened was some shitty fucking dude in tech was like, "Oh yeah, this guy gets it. Total fascism." It's probably yeah. sarcastic. Guys, I'm tequila. It's just I'm... satire, you guys. <laughs> guys, I'm tequila drunk. <laughs> <laughs> we are having margaritas now because guys, it's been a rough couple of days. It's been a day. It's been a week, and it's only Wednesday. Thursday. This was Anglin's long-form era, featuring his essays on writings by both Hitler and Mussolini. Don't forget that guy. As well as Anglin's own calls for genocide, deportation of non-whites, and the implementation of concentration camps. He was not subtle about this. This was... Did he know? He knows that the Nazis lost World War II, though, right? I, all of them do, and that is why they have been hiding like rats for the past, like, what, 70, 80 years. Though he remains proud of his despicable work on total fascism, Anglin found that he was lacking the brevity and punch he needed to appeal to the youth. And this was the impetus for the launch of his current website, The Daily Stormer, in 2013. Chapter 2. On Saturday the 12th of August, during the Charlottesville Unite the Right white supremacist rally, neo-Nazi James Alex Fields Jr. drove a Dodge Silver Challenger to a crowd of leftist counter-protesters, injuring 19 people and killing 32-year-old activist Heather Heyer as she crossed the street. <sighs> the very next day, Andrew Anglin published the following story on the Daily Stormer. Something tells me that this is going to be the worst thing I will hear today. Just today. Heather Heyer, woman killed in road rage incident, was a fat, childless, 32-year-old slut. That's the headline. I would provide you with some quotes from the piece just to hammer home the point. But fortunately, that. fortunately I was unable to connect to the website. Though the article is more or less identical hateful what a rectum of a human being to every other to appear on the daily stormer this piece gained enough high profile criticism to force the stormers host godaddy.com into action Ooh, do i have to click do i have to like cl click now to see what happens next to danica patrick you, they see you better believe it oh man i bet i get to see some danica patrick shoulder blade <laughs> After pushback from the public, GoDaddy publicly stated that they had given Anglin a 24-hour ultimatum to move his domain. I just want to say that we support Danica Patrick for being a, a female race car driver in a very male-dominated world. Quote from GoDaddy, official. This is their Twitter. From official CEO Danica Patrick. This is their Twitter. Given their latest article comes on the immediate heels of a violent act, we believe this type of article could incite additional violence, which violates our terms of service. Hey, GoDaddy! You know what this website does all the fucking time? That. Incite violence! Sorry about the fizzy sound effects, but Margaritaville. Ugh, get fucked, GoDaddy. England's first choice was Google as an alternative domain host. Though again, high-profile criticism prompted them to terminate both his domain and his YouTube channel. Good. And then, with only 24 hours before the death of the Daily Stormer, a post appears. The author credits themselves as part of the hacktivist group Anonymous and claims to have control of the site. Oh. They say that the site will remain for the next 24 hours, 
quote, so the world can witness the hate, end quote, that this was, quote, done in defense of the Jewish people, end quote, and that after the 24 hours, the site would then be shut down forever. Chapter 3. In light of the post, at your Anon News, the closest thing to an official anonymous Twitter account there is, tweeted the following, quote, we have no confirmation that Anonymous is involved yet. Looks more like a stunt. Wonder if they are having issues finding a new host, end quote. Indeed, no hackers within Anonymous have taken credit through either official or unofficial channels. Additionally, the post's 24-hour ultimatum lining up perfectly with the 24-hour ultimatum provided by the Daily Stormers hosts is a little convenient. On August 15th, the day after the Daily Stormers' supposed destruction at the hands of Anonymous, white nationalist affiliates of the website announced that it would continue to live on, this time finding its home on the dark web via the DNS provider and proxy service, Cloudflare. Anonymous never had control over the Daily Stormer. The false post was merely a hoax, mm. perpetrated by England to rile up anti-Semites. This is another. Can I t say, Tom, as someone who is in fact a Semite, so easy to rile up anti-Semites. <laughs> just, just like just, exist. Yeah, exactly. Just, it just like breathe, and that. Oh boy, do they hate it. Yeah. Just. Are you not in front of them? Are you? Do you conceptually exist somewhere else? They're mad. They're, they're mad at you. They're mad about it. They wake up in the morning and they're just so fucking angry. Did you try to end a sentence by saying Israel and then accidentally goofed up and said Israel? You've ruined their day. <laughs> so yeah, remember how the post said it was done in defense of the Jewish people? Mm -mm. That was very intentional. The Nazi will try to portray themselves as the victim. They will try to leverage. But you see, Viva, we had so much we had to hose down afterwards. What do you, what'd you think about it? It was really sort of a two-way street deal. They will try to leverage a both sides argument that relies on an equivocation between the genocidal violence of fascism and the defensive violence of anti-fascism. You know, the POWs we killed were just as bad as we were, you know. I don't see them on trial here at Nuremberg. Yeah, you know who's, yeah, you know who was just as bad? People who tried to fight and stop the Nazis. Ugh, you know, gross. Man, if you, if you punch a Nazi for trying to kill you, you know, you're probably just as bad as the Nazi. If somebody, if somebody commits armed robbery in your home and you, and you manage to like stab them in self-defense, you're pretty much exactly the same if you think about it. D-Day must have been the scariest day because it was a group of terrorists fighting a group of terrorists. I know, right? Oh my God. Can you, uh, it really sounds like Nobody, nobody was doing the right thing on D-Day. Hey guys, it's Liam. I'm, I'm in a different corner of the podcast, and I just want to quickly say that, uh, as you guys probably have guessed, this is all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we live in upside-down wacky town! This is done specifically to leverage the complacency of political centrism. A recent post on 4chan actually lauded the success of fascist dog whistles under this very context. Nazis recognized them, and formed leftists do as well, but the ignorant center, normies, either don't notice or think criticisms of dog whistles are a paranoid overreaction on the part of the left. You remember when Laura Ingram did the fucking Nazi salute? Yeah. You remember when she did the fucking Nazi salute at the RN fucking C? Yeah. Well, I mean, if oh. you're going to do the Nazi salute, the RNC is the most appropriate place to do it, yeah. other than, like, a clan meeting. How is David Duke still allowed to, like, walk around outside? Have a platform? Like, how, 
we not as a community just gone and like locked him in a crate? Hitler also leveraged false claims of violent leftists to help his ascent to power. He specifically targeted this at the German center. And even more recently, the anti-Semitic face of Infowars, Alex Jones. Hey dude, how are your kids? Uh, Alex Jones claimed that members of these KKK and right-wing rallies were merely Jewish actors attempting to make white supremacists look bad. That's fucking wild. What? Oh god, you know, I just hate other people of different, less superior races. I really do. Uh, could you, excuse me, um, could I get a hood that, uh, see, my eyes are a lot lower on my head than I'm used to, so the way the hood works is I still, I still can't see. That's, yeah, they tried, uh, to, they tried to get Larry David, but his fees were too high, and he's just so busy with the new Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> and, most alarmingly, President Donald Trump said the following on the 15th of August. What about the alt-left that came charging at, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? What about the fact that they came charging with clubs and hands? Swinging clubs, do they have any problem? I think they do. Like, this is, this is exactly what, what people like what people like this do is they get on a platform they use their platform and, no one talks about those fucking alt-left guys with oh, their yeah. guns on d-days in the boats going mm. out there killing jew killers well of course liberals and neoliberals alike are also to blame for the success of the both sides rhetoric of white nationalists as they've spent the last seven odd months comparing the left and anti-fascists with fascist white supremacists not the same fucking thing guys Hey, listen, I know that you're really mad that Hillary didn't win and that she kind of fucked it up. Guess what? So are we. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't, We're just a little more aware of how to deal with Nazis. Yeah, like literally liberals and neoliberals are the people who invented the term the alt-left. That comes from them. Yeah. This thing that is now being used by our white supremacist president to dog whistle to other white nationalists and liberals and neoliberals are therefore complicit in Andrew Anglin's ability to successfully dupe readers into believing his anti-Semitic tricks. I'm sorry I'm giggling. I just imagine the anti-Semitic tricks, like a little bag <laughs> of tricks. And it's, wait a minute, these are just the Star of David with a big no cross through it. <laughs> I'm Jewish. Have I said that on this podcast before? Yeah, yeah. Okay, is that canon in the Media Majors mythology? I'm very I, it's much also, Jewish. It's also canon in real life yeah, because yeah, yeah, you yeah. are a real life Jewish person and not just a fictional one that you play on Media Majors. <laughs> Hi, I'm Liam. And I, you might know me as the Jewish one on Media Majors. I mean, yeah, that's how I introduce myself to people at parties. Uh, see, yeah, this is the portrait white supremacists paint and, and that's how they paint it themselves and, and with the help of people to the right and the center that they trick. Oh boy! Oh, Liam almost uh, over fizzed his his little margarita it. with his lacroix. My lacroix pamplemousse, because I just love them mousse. On August sixteenth, Matthew Prince, CEO of Cloudflare, decided on a whim to kick the Nazis off of Cloudflare, <laughs> leaving a mealy-mouthed blog explanation that ruminated whether or not he'd made the right choice. He did, you. Fuck wad. This has brought about much pointless hand-wringing concerning the ability of domain registrants to police the internet, which is a dumb thing to worry about in this scenario because the speech that's being policed is Nazi speech. Hey guys, here's a quick tip. Nazis are always going to be the exception. No anonymity for bigots. No platform for fascism. No sanctuary 
for Nazis. We don't have to hear all sides if one of the sides believes in ethnic cleansing. Right? Like, people are like, wow, like, what do you think about that? Wet man domains might be able to censor your speech. Yeah. Because there's a precedent. You know what the precedent that they've just said is? It's not that they can police speech. It's that they can police Nazi speech. There's a very, very, very important word there that people are leaving out when they make these fucking arguments about how, like, oh, I don't know if this is really, like, good for, good for freedom of speech. Go fuck yourself. Ugh. Guys, we're actually mad right now. Yeah, I'm not feeling great. With nowhere to turn to, the Daily Stormer did what all Nazis did. It fled the country, seeking to host. Oh, very good. Seeking to host its domain. We in also resetted, shot himself in the head in a bunker that was already on fire. <laughs> you know what that bunker is today in Germany? Like a shitty parking lot for nothing. It's good. pretty amazing. So they they turned to Russia to host their domain, and while they succeed. <laughs> Briefly, a Russian media watchdog was able to shut down the domain within 24 hours. That's so, crazy. So not even Russia will take these people. That's crazy because the internet of Russia is basically Outback Steakhouse. And the rules <laughs> just right. My story does not have a happy ending. I do, however, have one fun fact to play my story out on. The Daily Stormer is named after a Nazi party publication, no surprise there, called Der Stürmer. Ach, original. <laughs> After the war, its publisher, Julius Stryker, was executed for crimes against humanity. Fuck fascism. We're going to take a quick break and listen to another ad from a show on the Major Cast Network. We'll hopefully relax you a little bit. <laughs> Do you find yourself unable to watch television? Who has the time? Well, luckily, we do. I'm Liam Sr. I'm Josh Phillips. We host a podcast where we watch old canceled TV for, for you. Musty TV, every Thursday on the Major Cast Network. My father says we're crazy. My mother won't talk to me anymore. Boy, what an ad. Boy. That's Life was a magazine-style television series on BBC One between May 1973 and June 1994, presented by Esther Ranston throughout the entire run. The show is notable for presenting hard-hitting investigations alongside satire and occasional light entertainment. Oh boy, sounds a lot like <laughs> medium majors. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> the show was generally recorded about an hour prior to air and it was in front of a live studio audience. In 1988, the producers and hosts invited a man named Nicholas Winton on the show and they sat him down next to a woman named Vera Gissing. And then on air, they read Nicholas's secret scrapbook in front of everybody. And what followed is one of the most incredible moments in television history. Part one. Nicholas Winton was born on the 19th of May, 1909 in Hampstead, London, a son of a bank manager, Rudolf Wertheim, and his wife, Barbara. His parents were German Jews who had moved to London two years earlier. The family name was Wertheim, but it was changed to Winton in effort at integration. They also converted to Christianity, and Winton was baptized. And this was in 1909. This was before, before the Nazi party. Like, yeah. they just, you know, it, it goes without saying, but Jews have not been treated great throughout history. Nope. So when they got the, um, the chance to book it, they booked it. Part two. The Kindertransport, German for children's transport, was an organized rescue effort that took place during the nine months prior to the outbreak of the Second World War. The United Kingdom took in nearly 10,000 predominantly Jewish children from Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, and the free city of Danzig, where Glenn Danzig from the Misfits started his own country. Hmm. This is not true. 
Oh. Glenn Danzig is no relation to the free city of Danzig, you dummy. When, you when, don't know enough about the misfits for that joke. When Liam looks into my eyes and finishes a sentence, I believe it. Yeah, I'm like pretty wily. Uh, the children are placed in British foster homes, hostels, schools, and farms. Often they were the only members of their family who's ended up surviving the Holocaust. My grandmother's family actually took kids in during this time. Oh, that wow. was one of their big things because they were uh, descended from Jews from Baghdad that moved to Liverpool in like the late 1800s. So yeah, one of my grandmother's first memories is helping Jewish kids find homes when she was like eight or nine. It was, as you can imagine, an incredibly intense, emotional, and straining process. So I'm about to read some quotes from some German kids um, about when they were shipped off to England. Okay. Um, it's pretty It's pretty down, so if this might be a little triggering for you, maybe just hit the 30-second skip button or minute skip button. Yeah. Uh, so, this is from John Fieldsend, who uh, was born in Germany. His original name was Hans Heinrich Fiege. One day, my father called my brother and me, and he said, Sit down, boys. You're going on a long journey. His family fled to the Czech Republic, where the Nazi persecution of the Jews began prior to the outbreak of World War II. As the train was leaving, my mother took her wristwatch off, passed it through the window, and simply said, remember us. Wow. Leah Lesser lives, now lives in Birmingham, England, but was originally taken in by a woman who lived on the Isle of Angelisi. There are tons of, like, English Isles in, in England that are all, like, really strange and weird. We didn't know when, uh, we wouldn't see our parents again, Leah says. I think they must have known there was a good chance they wouldn't see us again, and they were very brave to let us go. I never knew how my mother arranged it. She never talked about it, said Zuzana Marasova, who was born in Prague and later returned there. She said her mother gave her a book about flowers and said, you're going to a place where the, uh, these flowers grow. And that's all I know. The kids, however, saw it as an adventure and never really put the pieces together until they were older and learned about what the Holocaust was and stuff. Melina Granfeld Baines, who now lives in Preston, Lancashire, was born in Prague and taken in by a family in Ashton-under-Lynn near Manchester. Her parents also survived the war, but how she got on the train remained a mystery for many years, she said. And it was not until 1988 when Nicholas's wife, Nicholas Winton's wife from the beginning, his wife Greta, discovered a scrapbook in their attic containing a mass amount of documents, including the names of rescued children that his heroism became known. Part three. In December of 1938, when Winton was about 29 years old, uh, Martin Blake, a friend and instructional master at the Westminster School in London, asked Winton to skip his planned family ski vacation and visit him in Czechoslovakia, where he had traveled in his capacity as an associate of the British Committee for Refugees from Czechoslovakia. The committee had been established in October of 38 to provide assistance for refugees created by the German annexation of the Sudan, Sudan regions under the terms of the Munich Pact. Basically, Hitler was starting to do his appeasement thing where he started taking land and no one was and really then, doing anything. And then nobody did anything about right. it. Right, yeah, yeah, so yeah. people who were not um, in politics but were smart and knew what was going on basically was like we need to get as many jews out of germany as we physically can. there's there's a story i i remember to this day especially given what's happening now where like will chamberlain or whatever neville chamberlain neville chamberlain will went, chamberlain is a basketball player who played for the detroit pistons well you know they're pretty much the same guy nope will um, chamberlain is like one of the greatest players so will chamberlain flies to germany no, neville chamberlain and say his name right because now in england everyone 
fucking hates Neville Chamberlain. Uh, Neville Chamberlain mm-hmm. flies to Germany. The spi- most spineless prime minister in the history of the prime Yes, and stuff. comes back with Hitler's signature that, like, oh, like, Hitler says, he's done now. Like, he, he walks off the plane and he holds it and he's like, and everybody's like, woo! And then there's some Hitler quote where, where he, the translation is something to the effect of, like, that signature means as much to me as wiped toilet paper. Yeah. So after Munich, Winton had been certain that the Germans would occupy the rest of Bohemia and Moravia before long, and he was super alarmed at the amount of violence against the Jewish community that had began in Germany and Austria during a lot of riots in November. So when he heard about that there was this effort to get Jewish uh, families out into Britain, he threw himself in. And So when he learned that there was a group that was uh, able to get 10,000 unoccupied children to the safety in Great Britain... Uh, Winton summoned a small group of people to organize a similar similar rescue operation for children imperiled by the impending German dismemberment of Czechoslovakia in March 1939. Um, Czechoslovakia was one of the first places before. Once they took Poland on August 31st, 1939, that's when World War II basically started. Yeah. This was like right before that. Um, they, they basically like reclaimed a lot of old land that like Prussia had lost. What, 50, 60 odd years yeah, ago. Yeah, reclaimed is maybe a generous way to phrase reclaimed it. Reclaimed with heavy, yeah, heavy quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, I should say. So Winton immediately established a children's section and using the name of the British Committee for Refugees from Czechoslovakia without their authorization, began taking in applications from parents at his hotel in Prague. Um, soon thousands of parents would line up outside his office so that they could seek his children, uh, save their children. He returned to London to organize the rescue operations. He raised money for the transport um and it and basically got it so that like you know they only have to pay 50 pounds per child like that's that's how they were able to get so many in he found families that were willing to take care of them he worked at, at his regular regular job at the stock exchange to put more money into this like this was his fucking his pet project yeah i mean more yeah. than that though this yeah, was yeah. like his life goal like yeah. this was his mission First transport of children organized by Winton left Prague by plane for London on March 14th, 1939, the day before the Germans occupied the Czech lands. Winton organized seven further transports that departed all by rail out of Prague, across Germany to the Atlantic coast, and then by ship to the English Channel to Britain. British foster parents would wait at the London train stations, and the last train load of children left Prague on August 2nd, 1939, a month before WW2 fully breaks oh my out. God. Rescue activities ceased after Germany invaded Poland and Britain declared war in Germany in early September. That's like, that's like, you know how there are those stories about people who, who are like, oh yeah, I was going to be on United Night uh, yeah. Flight 93, except imagine that to like the nth fucking degree where it was like, oh my God, like I was almost in the Holocaust. It is said that he rescued oh God. 669 children and safely got them to England. The children oh and God. families... He has helped saved, did not even know who he was. He didn't meet, you know, he wasn't there when it happened. He just organized it. And after the war, he kept his heroics pretty close to the belt. He mentioned it to his wife and close family, but never really went into it. I read something about a botched mayoral campaign where they tried to use it as a platform and he was like kind of backed out. how How do you even bring that up? Until part four. So Winton's wife Greta is cleaning the attic one day when she finds a scrapbook with photographs and names of all the escapees, including John Fieldson, Mia Lesser, Milena Granfield Baines, and Vera Gissing, all the names that I've talked about. So Greta gives the old scrapbook to Elizabeth Maxwell, a Holocaust researcher, 
and wife of a newspaper profiteer named Robert Maxwell. The latter got wind of it, and then an article about it appears in the Sunday People. And then, in February, the producers of That's Life read the Sunday People. So, on the episode that Winton was uh, in the audience for, mm-hmm. Esther Ranson begins to talk about Winton's rescue efforts and accomplishments before the whole audience. And Nicholas has no idea this is going on. He sees the scrapbook and his names. And then it's revealed that Vera, one of the children, is sitting right next to Nicholas. Oh my God. And the two meet. And he's completely delighted. And she thanks him and he shakes her hand. You can see he's, he's just filled with joy. Esther then asks if there's anyone else in the audience who Nicholas Winton helped, and if there is, to please stand up. About 50, like at least 50 or so audience members around Nicholas stand up. Oh my god. And he looks around, and they're all just like, thank you. See what I mean? Like, I watched the video last night, and I was crying. Yeah, listeners, this is not going to come across visually or audio at all, but like, we are both full tearing, full tearing. So as far as like, uh, you know, this was the first time it was announced that this had happened. He had not met any of these kids and they tracked down tons of them. Obviously not all 669, but they got a ton of them. They flew them out to England and they filled them in the audience. And it's like one of the most happiest things. That's incredible. It gets even better though, because... Oh, yes! So first of yes. all... Yes! So now, I wasn't able to say his full title because I didn't want to give it away. Sir Nicholas Winston, he was knighted for his heroics. Mm-hmm. He's been recognized. There are three different films made about him. But what I think is the, uh, the best is, he's re- so he's remembered for his bravery, his accomplishments, and everything. He died in July 2015 wow. at the age of 106. Fucking hell yeah! He is one of the most amazing human beings and his peak moment of joy is forever recorded on television because sometimes television is good and small victories mean the most. Media majors fact. Fight the Nazis, help people. You will live so long. You will live so long and so old. To be, you will live to be 106. So sometimes we talk about dark stuff. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> like the rise of fascism. Like the rise of the Fourth Reich that we're seeing. Yeah, boy. The Fourth Reich Chan. Yeah, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, no. I hate that. I hate that and I hate you for saying it. Oh, and sometimes we like to balance it out with something nice that happened in our lives during the week. We call this segment Self-Care Corner. If you would like to send in a self-care corner because God knows times are tough and sometimes it helps to hear strangers on a podcast read about a nice thing that happened to you and others. Sonic Mania came out and... Did you get it? I didn't get it. Oh, no. But I want to get it. I might get it. Uh, And it's like the first really, like, really good Sonic game to come out since, like, the old 2D Sonics. And it's so... It's so the one with Flame the Cat is really good. It's so good. Yeah, like they they hired a bunch of people who made these the the most successful, well-regarded fan mods to make a Sonic game, which is what they should have done a couple hundred years ago. Nintendo, take a fucking clue, right? Oh man, but it's so good. Like all the music is great. All the level design is like 
the the main problem with like uh, modern Sonic. Tom is literally becoming more energetic as he's talking. About the this. main problem with modern Sonic is they're like, oh, we Tom, have to let go of my see, shirt. I get it. See, you have to see all the set pieces, and you have to they have to be in your fucking face. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Sonic's ever been about. In the old levels, it was like there's a hundred million directions, and you're not going to see half of them, even if you play the game a hundred times. And you just go, and it's about tricking you into constantly into a false sense of security, into constantly moving forward, and. And that's exactly what Sonic Mania does, and it does it with like all the charm and like just raw sexual energy of all the old Sonics, and it's so good. Is Knuckles still beefy? Yeah, hell yeah. He has like a fucking six pack in Love the it. intro, and I'm Keep into it. Knuckles beefy. Keep Knuckles Keep sexy. Knuckles beefy. Keep Knuckles sexy. All right, um, Knuckles I, will always be sexy. I really hope I didn't talk about this last week, but I've been going on hikes with Jane once a week. I'm good. Yeah, you're good. good. Well, we've been going, we, so we found a park about 10 minutes away by driving, and we walk up this big hill, and the first five minutes we're walking up this hill on a Sunday morning, but a little hungover, and we're like, this is dumb. Hiking (laughs) sucks, and I hate it. We get up to the hill, and we find this tiny lake called Peanut Lake, and it has a bunch of wild turtles that just like live, laugh, learn, and love together yeah. in the big swampy pond. And <laughs> it's amazing. And we just go there and we hang out. We watch all the turtles do awesome turtle stuff. And then the last time we went, I saw a giant orange koi fish in the water. Nice. So Peanut Lake, it's the secret that no one knows about. I'm not going to say where it is because I don't want you know I don't want all our podcast fans oh, yeah. to hound it down. To just come a, come down and beat down our door. There's also like a man-made like tributary that sometimes um the, the lake will run into if there's enough water in it because it's a man-made lake and it like goes down this cliff in this really cool almost like skate park-esque oh, stone nice. and rail formation. We'll take you to it next time. It's really cool. But going there once a week has just been great. People bring their kids and dogs. Jane loves dogs, so we just get, we see dogs and turtles and fish, and that's fucking great. Hell yeah. LA life. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Media Majors. You can follow us on our Twitter at Media Majors Cast. Check out the other shows on the Major Cast Network. We have a new edition called The Filmographers, Lenny and Kate, two wonderful, funny people who go through an actor or actress's entire filmography. It's a monthly show. so Because they got to watch a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, holy God. Yeah. Um, email us at mediamagerspodcast at mediamagers.com. Oh, the latest big time whoopsie is like the funniest big time whoopsie ever posted. It's so good. The 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 Habsburg one. So yeah. please go listen to that. And um you might hear some familiar voices on the next episode. Mm. Big time whoopsie. Maybe. If we make Yeah, what if mm. it's our network? We can do whatever we want. Yeah, we're gonna be yeah, on, that's right. on the No next more episode. shows, it's just us again. No more shows. One show only, and it's Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast. Oh boy. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, do you wanna be on the podcast in any way send us a self-care corner follow us on twitter write us a review and we'll, we'll oh yeah write us a review it section. really helps out small podcasts like us yeah and also we haven't mentioned this in a while shout out to spawn on me for advertising our podcast that was thank really you nice very much them. spawn on me is a great uh poc focused gaming podcast it's it's one of my favorites check it out and as always especially in these dire Yo. dire times we'll be there for, For you. you, Nazi punks, fuck
thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>